Hi, folks, and thanks for listening to this important Tortoise Shack podcast. If you can, if you are one of the lucky ones who can afford the couple of quid once a month, please go to patreon.com forward slash Tortoise Shack. The link is in the podcast you're listening to right now. It helps us keep the mics on and the conversations going. It is the only way we keep this project going into 2023. And you get lots of extras for it, exclusive content, uh, podcasts that don't go out uh, everywhere. Uh, all of our podcasts in one consolidated feed as quickly as I can turn them around. And uh, you don't have to listen to me beg. They come completely plea free. I'm going to square with you. Listenership is up about 40% year on year and support is down by about the same amount. So, yeah, it's pretty bloody hard out there at the moment. It's pretty bloody hard in here. We get that. But all I'm asking you to do is click on the link and see if there's a level there that you're happy to keep the show on the road. It would really, really help. And we appreciate every single cent we get. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. I won't delay any further. Enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber podcast. My name is Tony Groves and we are back. Uh, he's, he's telling me it's early on a Saturday morning, folks, but it's late afternoon. Um, it, it is early. It is early on a Saturday. I have the constitution of a bear, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> a bit a bear that is temperament been, of a bear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and 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 the appetite of of one that's been dead for several years. Um, but anyway, that oh, that is this is the worst segue ever. I just wanted to say, and I, I know that no one on this podcast is is kind of really aware, except so. But I don't know. Grant Wall died last night in Qatar covering the World Cup. He was that's people, right. people will know Grant as the guy who showed up in the T-shirt for supporting the LGBT. Causes in Qatar and was detained. I remember Grant from when he used to write for Sports Illustrated about a young skinny sixteen-year-old in, in in Akron nearly twenty years ago. So I've been reading this stuff for years, and while I've never spoken to him, lots of my friends have. So I know that they're feeling sad this morning um, out in Qatar. Many of his friends, and I just want to say, you know, condolences to them and his family. Uh, again, I've never spoken to Grant, but surprised how many people I know who actually were good friends and have met him at these events every four years, you know, over the last number of decades. So very sad news. And I just wanted to acknowledge it. Anyway, enough of that. Um, we are talking to you because something yet again has come up in the rundown to the doll wrapping up at Christmas. And uh, the legislative process has been... Uh, circumnavigated or circumvented i should say uh, and uh we we are we are always eternally grateful for the keen eagle eyes of attracta ivrian who is the environmental law officer with the irish environmental network attracta you have picked up on something that is going to what well i'm going to frame it as potentially see huge changes to how the, how on board planala operates can you give our listeners a quick oversight on what is actually making its way winding its way through the, our our Arctis and is you know due to be completed by wednesday yeah thanks very much tony and really appreciate the uh the focus that you guys are bringing to this matter um the the situation is and before everybody switches off and sort of says oh this is planning this is boring you know from the minute like you know you you glance at the clock as you're setting it you know and wondering whether it's going to be early enough to jump the traffic in the morning you know and get you you know a seat on a bus or however you get into town to get to, to work etc um and to when you turn on the tops in the morning and you you wonder whether you need to boil the water before you wash your teeth that's all governed by planning you know, planning has a profound impact on on everything in our in our physical environment and the way we live, and you know how how difficult it is for you to get your kids to school and how far it is and are the school places, all of these different things, and what we're seeing now um, happen 
again, um, is it's now a Christmas tradition of a, a planning bill being rushed through. Um, and uh, this one's particularly naughty and it is not nice. Um, it's making profound changes to the body at the apex of our planning system on board Planola. And this, just for, for the record, is, is the body that basically when any local authority makes a decision and you need to appeal that, it goes to on board Planola and they execute the appeal. But they also are the decision maker, the, the first instance decision maker for big strategic infrastructure developments. Um, and big strategic housing developments, you know, under a scheme that was again rushed through before Christmas, which was a complete disaster and totally flawed and had to be abandoned and created all sorts of havoc. So what this this bill and um, there's t- two main parts to it currently, and they're going to whack on a third one uh, just to add insult to injury. But the first part is really about profound changes to the process for the appointment of ordinary board members and to the chair of onboard Planola. Um, and it gives extraordinary discretionary powers effectively to the minister and also in respect of temporary appointments and increasing the size of the board. Um, so there's there's both temporary changes and there's permanent changes. And basically, um, our view is that this profoundly impacts upon the independence of the board and reverses in one fell swoop five decades of policy making, which have all been around removing the power from ministers and removing the power from the government well, to basically politicise the planning uh, system. It's, it's important that we contextualise this and say yeah. this opportunity and it is an opportunity uh, for for government to do this, arose because of findings against the actions of on board Planala and uh, clashes of ethics, clashes of code of conduct members. I mean, there's a case gone to the DPP uh, about a a member. So it is very difficult to talk about that. But, you know, the work of the ditch literally exposed stuff that was then taken up by other more mainstream outlets and exposed a lot of this. So it's, you know, there, there is, and the minister in question, Minister for Housing, Darrell O'Brien, was actually given great credit for um, taking on what was seen to be, you know, not making this go away. He took it in as an investigation and, you know, and it handed over to to have the Gardaí involvement to look into what, what, what might be corruption. So, but what we're saying here now is in that vacuum, there may be an opportunity to do things that 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 may undo, as you say, five decades of what was supposed to be independence. Yeah, I, I hate to have to say it, but I, I think this this crisis has been manipulated um, to to a degree in terms of um, the, the minister actually having failed in his duty expressly provided for in the act to fill to fill vacancies as soon as maybe after they have arisen. Um, he he sat on on vacancies where he could have made appointments, he could have made discretionary appointments that he was entitled to make. And now they're basically using this as as uh, this crisis in terms of the numbers of board members um, to, to basically try and, and railroad all of this through, particularly invidiously given the way that they're compromising Iraq, this oversight, with this bill going through in the doll basically in one single sitting, you know, in, in you know, just over four hours. And, if, you know, they tried to get it through the Shannon basically in one sitting, um, you know, but it was split over, you know, two sets of sittings effectively. But, you know, so Iraq, this oversight has been really compromised. And the, the fundamental issue is that, you know, and speaking more generally, the dogs in the street knew that there was an issue because the, you know, the, the, there was an exponential increase in the amount of decisions that were being found to be unlawful 
in the courts, um, you know, that the board was making. And, and that's reflected in the Office of the Planning Regulators, very belated, I might add, very belated investigation into these matters, who entirely failed to basically pick up on all of the signals and to use powers he had to initiate an investigation, which was only very belatedly done when matters had really come to a head. And I think the, the issue is now what we're seeing is a totally inappropriate political response uh, in terms of what is needed to restore public confidence in what was the jewel in the crown uh, and a much valued, even though we didn't always agree with it, but a much valued part of our planning system. And basically what the minister is allowing himself to do is he's increasing the size of the board once off, but then he's, uh, which I don't think many people would have an objection to, but um He's then basically, he has uh, powers existing in, in the legislation to be able to increase the size of the board on, on effectively and now much more increased discretionary basis. But also very critically, under the current legislation, he has to present that order to the Oireachtas and they have the opportunity to scrutinise that. But he's removing that Oireachtas scrutiny. He's expressly deleting in this bill the Iraq the scrutiny of orders for him to be able to manipulate the configuration and the size of the board without any oversight. On top of that, basically, um, back in 1983, we moved to a panel system where basically a cross-representation of civil society had an input into the nominations of people who would be considered to be appointed as ordinary board members. And he's thrown that out with the bathwater. And like Senator Fintan Warfield actually broke down into a fit of giggles when he was reading out the provisions in terms of how discretionary the powers are that the minister is is taking on to himself to be able to provide to prescribe any system you know that he likes without any circumscription or any caveats or requirements in the act provided that he can come up with any system and Alice Senator Alice Mary Higgins you know practically described how the minister would go into a corner and talk to himself about who he was going to, you know, nominate to himself, you know. And I, 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 I have to say, yeah. I'd love to get yeah. that power myself, you know, the, the power to agree that my... my God it, protect it, small harm, yeah. Tommy. But it, <laughs> I mean, it's sad, but that would be serious. Like, I'm going to be not, I'm sorry, I'm going to be not nice. Tony's a little bit younger than us. He doesn't, may not remember what planning was like pre-onboard Planola. And I, I remember how utterly dysfunctional planning was in this country. Why are they looking for a return to that? Well, that's a very good question. And I just first of all, I hope you're not implying that I'm, you know, old enough to remember. No, <laughs> no, attractor, you are you are in the prime. Absolutely. <laughs> but, prime. but no, you're you're absolutely you, I think that's a key question. Like, I mean, why are we doing this? You know, I mean it it is it is deeply disturbing. And I think people actually really have to ask themselves why is the government moving to take back control and seek to be able to appoint, um, you know, left to crisis uh, faster uh, in the way that they have? And now on top of changing the permanent system for appointments, also are seeking to be able to appoint more people from not just the civil service, but former civil service and other state agencies and bodies um, without any circumspection or control around 
the, you know, the period over which those people have had to have been in the service. So you could have literally people walking in one door of, of the department and out the next, basically from the private sector straight into a, seat, a hot seat and on board Planola with extraordinary powers. I mean, uh, that's, that's what I want to come clear. to. Can this we... is an extraordinary, powerful body. We're all, we're sitting here, we're talking in the abstract, but there's real implications. And I know you specifically will like, can talk about sort of the environmental aspects of that. So, I mean, the, I, Antoshka have issued a, a post that will be attached to this, folks. You can go and have a read it. But like, it's important that we have a look at these things and understand what this actually means. It, could, it it's not just it's not just a bricks and mortar issue. It's our uh, it's our environmental, our lived environment. It's our seas. It's all of these things as it's well. Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, it has a huge and profound implication for for our economy because effectively, if you have people basically being appointed to the board who are compromised in their independence because they're being temporarily appointed to the board. So they have to go back into working for the department after it. How likely are they to be, you know, to, to take issue uh, and go against, you know, ministerial or government policy? You know, I, I think there's, that, you know, there's a really serious question to be asked there in terms of how feasible is it for the board to be able to operate independently with much more increased proportion of, of hand-picked civil servants and people from state agencies and bodies, no matter how decent these people are, you know, the pressure that they will be under knowing that they have to go back in and work in that environment, I, I, you know, are within, you know, as an ordinary person within the, as an employee within the board either. And I think that, you know, the, the, the key issue here is that also there's an issue of competence that being on the board requires a lot of expertise and this isn't just you know me saying this this is a fundamental requirement of EU law which governs a lot of the the planning framework and legislation that we have in Ireland and you know there is a requirement for competence there um particularly in in huge you know significant developments which can have an impact on the environment and require to be assessed under things like the environmental impact assessment directive and if the board is making incorrect decisions for whatever reason, because they're comp- compromised in their independence or they don't have the necessary expertise and experience, etc., there is a fundamental issue that instead of this expediting things, what we will end up with is more flawed decisions coming out of the board, more delays, people who want to see housing developments, people who want to see developments, you know, of infrastructure necessary for our economy and for our society, you know, and things well managed for for the, for the environment, you know, uh, and, you know, offshore renewable energy, because all of that's going to be decided by the board, you know, that that will be properly decided, because if it's not properly decided, and it's flawed, it is more than likely going to be challenged. And it's important that it is challenged. Um, because, you know, unlawful decision making is not something that we can stand over. Ultimately, it will catch up with us. We have issues like we have with the Derry Brian Rain Farm decades on, you know, with completely, you know, impossible situations to, to resolve. And, you know, so it is not in anybody's interest to have the board compromised. But it's also very important to realise that it's not just the ordinary members of the board. There's a really insidious move here to allow the, the minister a the government basically appoint an interim chair person to onboard Planola on a 12 month basis. Now, in the first instance, 12 months for an interim chair is an extraordinarily long period. Um, but then they're allowing themselves under these new provisions to appoint them for another 12 months and for them, for that person to be then permanently appointed. Um, and that's bypassing an existing special system for the chair because the chair is such 
an important role, which involves people like the well, president think, of the High Court. Martin, I think we were giving out about the minutes for yachts before, but here we, here we yeah, are no, now. This, this is, that's the Tuppany Hayden's place now, compared to what, what Minister Dara O'Brien is, is proposing to do under this legislation. So they're basically making sure that they take avail of this crisis to effectively get their own person's knees under the desk. Uh, and I don't mean any disrespect to... Uh, anybody who is is being nominated uh, in respect of this role, but it is a hand-picked person which is bypassing the current process in the existing legislation, which is about curtailing the power of government and and providing sort of for a more balanced and an equitable and a voice of civil society in that. And they're bypassing that. They're uh, completely rewriting the rule book here. Accountability, attractor. It seems yeah. to be that accountability is now being fudged in that it's going to be very hard to find somebody accountable. You you mentioned the court cases that are, and that there has been a, a definitive measurable uptick. They are also trying to make that more difficult at the present moment yeah. in time. Yeah, that's a critical point, Martin, and I'm really glad you brought that one up because, um, you know, so, some people have likened this to a pincer group movement uh, in terms of before Christmas, they're moving to compromise the decision makers and, and take control of decision makers. Well, in fact, after have they not gone against the pre-legislative um, uh, recommendations already? Even what they did, like how they've actually operated here is like, because it's, I, I, um, we were reading the notes on it last night and Alice Mary Higgins, who you correctly point out, was 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 kind of livid about the fact that it, it was you know this is and Alice Mary Higgins as listeners will be aware is one of the most balanced people I've ever exactly. spoken to giant of a parliamentarian and very proper in terms of parliamentary process yeah so yeah they they, they did effectively bypass pre legislative scrutiny they they moved to advance the bill and the recommendations are much more consistent with about reforming the current system and addressing some small changes that that could be very easily done but maintaining the balance and independence of the board but going back to that point that Martin was making. It is absolutely key because we know that the narrative and, and a lot of the media reports and uh, are indicating that there will be changes to the rules on access to justice and access to the courts and judicial review coming on as part of the Attorney General's review of the Planning Act. And in fact, we understand, and Minister Dara Bryan made it very clear that the proposals in that are going before Cabinet on Tuesday. So anybody who's concerned about these issues with Umbor Planola and access to justice really needs to get on to the to the parties and government and basically say, down with this sort of thing, basically pause off the board and, you know, we want our right of access to the courts. It has never been more important. And even particularly in the context of, of these really controversial changes to the board, it will be even more important that that new board can be, you know, because they will railroad this through. And uh, it will be more important to have proper access to justice after this, in order to be able to ensure confidence in the accountability of that new board, because if you lessen access to justice, what incentive is there to make legally compliant decisions, you know, if you're not going to be held to account? What what confidence can the legislature of our Oireachtas have that the laws that they enact will be complied with? You know, if the public bodies making, you know, these decisions can't be held to account. So it's entirely irrational to do both of these things at the same time. Well, you, you think it's it, it, at a surface level, it appears entirely irrational. Yeah. But I mean, it's actually if you stand back and look at the picture, it is a power grab. That is exactly what it is, is a power grab. 
I, I can't would, disagree with you on the on the face of it. it. There there is no justification for what is being done, and I and no and no ju- no justification for being done as quickly as it's been done. This yeah. this, 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 this the state's position is that they have to fill the positions on the board to do this, um, and but we've seen like we've seen you mentioned the strategic housing uh, debacle. Let's be be honest, and that like Fred Logue was on this podcast a few years ago. Martin yeah. we started he started a bloody. Uh, spreadsheet, if you remember, and uh, that you could trace them and how they were all like falling over, like 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 things. Yeah, because they were so badly done. It was so badly pl- plotted out. And but we're going to be called nimbies for this. We're going to be told you just don't want you know. Or what, what? What's the new one? A banana? Build absolutely nothing, nowhere a, 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 at all, or whatever is the new nonsense that they um, that they come up with. But it's not that. It's actually build it, build it correctly, build it sustainably. And let's do it in a way that when that we're not going to have. You mentioned Derry Bryan, like I mean, it's just staggering. And that's what I'd say is that the environmental end of this, particularly where we are at this particular time, um, with climate action, that the environmental end of planning is even bigger than the the bricks and mortar end of planning. Yeah, I think that well, th- that's a key point. But we, we we need to get both right, and it is about sustainable development. You know, uh, you know, properly sustainable development. And I think this this is one of the things that, like, you know, people who are concerned around climate and people who are pressing that we we desperately need offshore renewable energy. And yes, we do. We do need to decarbonize our energy systems, and we also need to curtail our energy demand as well. I might add. But, you know, then at the same time, this government has been pressing for things like data centres, you know, and, you know, which you have to question just the, the sanity of that. But on top of that, then, you know, people who really want to see offshore renewable energy, you know, advanced, and that's including in the sector and within government, they need to be sure that the decisions which will be made will be lawful, because if they're not they will be challenged um, because people will find uh, will always find a way. And ultimately, even if in the short term, they get away with unlawful decisions, remedies are required where there are breaches of EU laws. Issues will you know, eventually have to be addressed and the problems will undermine confidence in Ireland as a place to do business and the funding needed to facilitate and you know, develop offshore will lose confidence in this place as a place to do business. So, I mean, it it is, you know, but we've seen highly dysfunctional and completely irrational changes before, like the strategic housing provision, you know, our strategic housing development provisions. Like anyone could see how problematic they were day one, Mm. um, you know, but they went ahead with them. Um, And they've backfired horribly. And and the people who have suffered are the people who want homes. And and you see, this comes back to this key aspect around access to justice. Then, because what we've also seen is, and I I know Keenan Brennan has written very well about this over the last number of months in terms of the um and uh, the 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 Irish Examiner in general did some good stuff on it, but showing that some of the uh, the decisions that they were that they're that they're doing is like well they've lost case after case after case because the people taking the cases were were uh, were found to be vindicated, but now but now the solution seems to be well actually make it harder for them to to take the case in the first place and just plow on. And if you think this isn't very real, I was reading one yesterday where um, even in the US, uh, a governor has taken it and said, look, we, we're we going to have to park environmental assessments on, on new building estates over a certain level. This is the kind of powers that actually come into force when you give someone that absolute power. And 
you know, and and that is like, I mean, I, I'm not exaggerating that. That was, um, you know, you you look at these things and you think, here's here's one. Uh, housing projects for environmental assessment statements are to be exempted. Most housing projects subject to land use approvals or public financing must conduct environmental review that takes six to eight months to complete. Uh, and exempting these projects for environmental review will decrease overall cost and help open new homes to New Yorkers. So that's in the state of New York. It's not. A, it's, it is a global issue whereby we're seeing this 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 crisis play out. We're not be we're not being nimbies when we say do this, but we're saying we can have we can have both. You can have fair uh, and equitable, transparent planning laws, and that look at building things in a sustainable way. And it's not doesn't have to be architects versus economists either because that's where we see it all the time playing out attractor and the environmentalists kind of get it get it after get it mentioned as an afterthought it all has to go into the one pot surely it does and and the, the fundamental issue is we are a member of the european union and there are there are specific requirements under eu law that we actually have to to address we also are party to international conventions around public participation rights and access to justice rights and you know if we don't observe those there will be problems. But I think it's interesting that you mention sort of the, the those housing uh, provisions in New York, because we know that the government intend to introduce amendments to their own bill, because effectively, you know, I think as Alice Mary put it very well, this, you know, this isn't complete legislation. You know, it's not properly drafted. And they're actually having to amend their own bill to bring in further changes, which none of us have actually seen sight of you know, at all yet, and which are going to be dropped on the Oireachtas, you know, from on high, and they're going to have to react to them and not a hope in hell of being able to scrutinise them properly or amend them with a view to sort of improving or addressing gaps or even being able to assess the issues and the gaps in it. And they are going to be around social and affordable housing. And, uh, you know, some people think that this is potentially a, a cynical move by the government to sort of sugarcoat the bill, basically, with you know, a gesture towards social and affordable housing, which even the minister has referred to as going to be very small scale. Um, but there are very potentially very controversial elements uh, which are quite legally and technically complicated around how these are going to conform to EU law requirements. And if they're not done right, instead of facilitating social and affordable housing, which we all know we really need, they will actually backfire and they will cause more delays. Um, and, you know, so doing things right, making good legislation properly scrutinised, you know, resourcing properly with competent, well-resourced, independent people, the decision makers, um, is is the fundamental way to solve the problems at source. Because if you have good decisions then emanating, you know, from clear legislation and from good decision makers who are independent and competent, then those decisions will be you know, nobody will need to challenge them and nobody will be able to challenge them. And as a result, then development will flow and everybody will be happy. Attractor, uh, if, developers if, will be happy. Uh, you know, um, people who need homes will be happy. If you were um, in government at the moment, what is the advantage to doing this? If if it can go awry so badly, if this can be challenged in the EU, if it ends up with less social housing being built and we're building virtually nothing at the moment and it ends up with less where's the advantage why why are they looking at it? I, I find it difficult to see where the win for government is in this where is the win for government 
Um, I, I think that's an interesting question, and I, I'd, I'd also like to answer coming to the second part of the bill as well. Um, the, but I think the, the issue is 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 power and and a belief that power um, and control can deliver what it is that they say that they want to deliver. Um, but I, I do think the, um, and I'm speaking very personally here, but I, I do think that. Um, the construction industry still has an incredibly powerful lobbying voice um, on this mm. government. I think the Galway tent is alive and well. well that's that's um, not that's not even uh, to back you up on that. That's not mm. a, a, a strange thing to say because we've seen, you know, uh, noteworthy did a great investigation into the lobbying of of governments uh, and of of um, vested interests, and uh, you know, the construction industry federation. I think are second. You know, in terms of in and out, but if you if you actually factor in some of the other bodies associated with it, be be that in finance and be that in other aspects of it, it's by far the, the largest lobbying yeah. body. But I think in terms of the um, just, I mean, it's it's not just in in the context of planning. We have seen right across the board, across sectors, and across all sorts of different legislation. This government abused the power of numbers that it has. It's it's a really disconcerting turn in terms of our democracy and particularly um you know from from parties in government who previously would have talked about transparency and accountability and democracy they they seem to have have forgotten those I, I kind of remember at the beginning of this government they talked about consensus they talked about transparency um and there is none of that there is no consensus they're, they're not asking for opinions across the floor they're not taking amendments they're absolutely railroading this stuff through lashing it through as hard as they can to avoid scrutiny yeah. to avoid amendments mm-hmm. i mean it is the opposite of where this government said it would go attractive but i think the the other issue is like we, we've seen it from 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 they came out of the traps basically with the changes in in forestry legislation mm. you know imposing entirely unjustified fees for participation and 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 appeals basically and making it much more difficult for for civil society to to engage in oversight on on what was and still remains to be a very flawed licensing system and then on top of that they're 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 pulling huge, uh, you know, amounts of forestry effectively, potentially out of licensing system, out of the licensing system. You know, we, we've seen, you know, it, just right across the board that there have been issues where legislation has been significantly amended to tack on provisions which had nothing got to do with the original scope of the bill and just been rushed through the the the, the Arachthus without anybody even getting time to draw breath to to read them let alone scrutinize them properly um but i think the 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 second aspect of the bill is actually really concerning as well and i'd like to touch on that please do please do yeah because this is around um and it's really of interest to people who are concerned around climate change um and anybody who's interested in the marine because these are changes to the foreshore act of 1933 and basically, uh, what's really alarming about this is when I went digging into it, because there was no rhyme or reason uh, provided for in the original general scheme of this bill to explain why this was being done. It just said matters had come to light. But when I went digging, I was able to find out that the government of actually, the, the department effectively, and particularly the foreshore unit, knew about an issue for over a year. And now they're coming forward with what I consider to be a very inadequate, clunky and very 
concerning fix to an issue because basically industry were extremely frustrated that, and I'm talking about the offshore renewable energy industry, were extremely frustrated that it was taking them so long to get um, foreshore licenses in order to be able to do the surveys that they needed to do in the marine you know, to basically profile the seafloor, et cetera, and understand the nature of the environment. Can we, because we keep saying foreshore and we've got the, we've got the knowledge of what that means. I'm, I'm conscious a lot of people here won't, won't get yeah, what that means and how, and how we're changing the definition of it as well. Yeah. So basically the, the foreshore, most of us would sort of associate with that, that bit of, of, of land basically that is intermittently covered by the sea. And that's just sort of to try and put it, you know, in simple terms. Um, but it's still land, but sometimes it's covered by sea, sometimes it isn't. But, you know, and it varies with the high and the low tide and whatever. But in Ireland, the definition goes all the way out to the 12 mile nautical limit, which is the limit of our territorial sea. So this is a big chunk of sea. This is a very big chunk of sea. Um, and uh, particularly in the context of the offshore renewable energy, where we're proposing effectively a wall of wind farms down the east coast and around, you know, the, the southeast corner of Ireland. Um, basically, they need to do surveying to to assess the you know the the context of the environment that they're they're doing. And when they do these surveying, they they use effectively noise um, and acoustic based techniques like seismic surveys, etc., and sonar and whatever. And these seismic surveys can have really significant environmental effects. Uh, for example, they can be really fatally devastating to the 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 to whales, dolphins, and porpoises, and um, because they rely on their Acoustic abilities to basically be able to navigate, to feed, to communicate, to mate, to hunt together, all of these different things. And basically, literally, um, it, it, it can destroy their, their, their acoustic sensitivities and it, it can kill, end up killing them. But also seismic surveys kill krill, which is basically the foundation stone of the food chain. Um, and, um, so basically, the, I, I welcome the fact, um, that government is moving to, to, uh, um, close off a potential gap in the legislation where industry have basically said, based on the definition, lads, we don't actually think we need a, a foreshore license. And it's born out of the frustration because the foreshore unit hasn't been resourced properly and they haven't been processing licenses in time. So the in industry basically, and some players in the industry, um, have basically pushed back and said, we don't think we need a license. And this all came to a head. And by all accounts, the attorney general had to concede that there potentially was a gap in the definition and in the licensing requirement. So they've now come forward with a change to the definition and they're trying to also apply as retros or they're proposing to apply as retrospectively to licenses which have been granted. But in that change, they're basically saying that the foreshore uh, includes the water space basically above the land, you know, of the foreshore. Um, and they were also proposing initially the airspace, but they've dropped that because I was highlighting them that that could have massive security implications. Um, but they're also talking about the subsoil. Um, and you have to sort of say, well, look, if somebody's just wanting to do sort of a, a small geophys or a geotech surveys, you know, why are they being given this extraordinary, potentially untrammeled power uh, of exclusive occupancy over the foreshore? And what are the implications for other marine users like fishermen, other recreational users of the foreshore in this big area of the sea? And has this been properly assessed? And what powers are we effectively giving away? What rights, what interests? And there was a really interesting and really concerning interchange in the Shannon, where basically, you know, a limit of 30 foot 
um, down in the current Foreshore Act, Minister Noonan seemed to imply that that was being scrapped and that it would effectively go much further. So what exactly is is being agreed here? Nobody's had a chance to properly go through it. So what what, what has been proposed, and I very much welcome that, um, people like De- Deputies Owen O'Brien, Deputy Keon O'Callaghan and, and Deputy Richard Boyd Barrett, um, you know, are proposing an amendment which basically is much more nuanced and sort of addresses the problem, which clarifies the fact that um, there is potentially a regulatory gap. There, As with many legal issues, there are different views as to whether there is or there isn't. But, you know, basically is saying notwithstanding, you know, um, the definition and without prejudice to whether there is or isn't a gap, basically for the avoidance of doubt, you do need to get a foreshore license, you know, in order to do those types of surveys, which will keep us on the right side of EU law requirements to protect species like whales and dolphins, which are supposed to be subject to the strictest protection that is afforded under EU law, um, and and also to comply with our EIA directive obligations, um, and then also limits the effect of the foreshore license to just what is needed in order to be able to do the surveys so that there's no doubt or, or, or risk that we actually cede more control. No mission creep. Yeah. And no, yeah. And I mean, you have to bear in mind that this is the same government that tried when it was passing the Maritime Area Planning Act, which is the big piece of legislation that governs all of the offshore renewable stuff, that it tried to slip in an amendment. Um, and I, I, I'm inclined to use that term very advisedly because it was buried in pages and pages of amendments. And I just stumbled across it by, by, by luck, I think, um, which basically was proposing to give to this new body, the, the MARA, the, the Maritime Area Regulatory Authority that's been established, the power to sell off state owned areas of the foreshore with effectively no oversight, no accountability. Now, ministers can currently do that, but a minister is, you know, has some degree of, of accountability, you know, to his electorate and to the Dáil. But they were basically just going to give this power yeah. this, this a totally unaccountable body. Colour me and, unsurprised at yeah, and, yeah, but thankfully, like um, uh, people like Deputy Boyd Barrett and Keen O'Callaghan and Ono Brin jumped on this and forced the government effectively to withdraw but we it's need by stealth the same thing. We know? need people to jump now, attractor. Yeah. So what do we need? How do we motivate people? How do what do we want people to do right now at this minute? Right now, this minute, what we need people to do is really actively engage with government uh, ministers, particularly Minister Ryan, Minister uh, Michal Martin, or um, Taoiseach Michal Martin, and Minister Dara O'Brien, um, because the. They are at, at the, the heart and the leadership of, of all of this happening. Um, but also just reach out to your TDs. And when I say reach out, I, I mean really actively, you know, pick up the phone, you know, email them. You know, we need to be careful on Twitter. Twitter is great for reaching out to people, but we're not just talking among ourselves. Retweet the tweets that Antashka has got out there. Retweet the tweets that I've got out there, that the environmental pillar is out there and that a whole pile of individual activists, you know, are, are tweeting about their concerns on this. Let them know that this is a case of no, absolutely. You cannot compromise the independence of the board and um, that there, you know, this type of legislation with these profound effects should not be being rushed through. You know, we're all amenable to change. We're all like we showed in, in COVID. 
we can all do what we need to do if there is an emergency and if it is justified. And we will take constraints and curtailment of our personal freedoms. But this is absolutely unacceptable, particularly in the way it's been driven through. And so it's unacceptable in terms of process and in terms of substance uh, and effect. And we'll have long term and uh, like this is this is going to be a legacy on the statute books, you know, uh, and even though this government would say, oh, we wouldn't dream of doing that. That's what's going to be on the statute because this absolutely open, untrammeled discretion and extraordinary powers for for successive ministers and successive governments to to be to to continue to compromise the independence of the board. Because believe you me, the moves that are going to be made in the next couple of weeks on foot of this legislation, if it's passed, will compromise the independence of the board unquestionably. unquestionably. Thank you very much for coming on and having this conversation. As always, you have the right eye on the right ball. As always, uh, you never miss it. You're never not in the right space. So you're in the right space again. All we can do is say, yes, please contact the ministers. Please contact your government DDs and basically bollock them out of it. That's what, that's what you need to do. Uh, threaten not to vote for them. Threaten to tell you, tell them your family won't vote for them. And that's how you get action in this country. That's the only way you get action in this country. So please, uh, get on the phones, get on the email, do what you can. Thanks again, Attractive, for coming in and having this conversation. One, one last thing. Um, I always have to have the last word. But if you found this podcast interesting, if you've learned something from it, this has been absolutely key to us getting this message out to you and making sure that you're aware. So support the lads, support the podcast, you know, because we need to support good independent media, which gives voice to these types of concerns. So that's the second thing we need to do. Well, the, first. Just there will be the, the link at the bottom of this will will have the who's your TD in your area and it'll have their email address. So you'll be able to find them nice and quick. So if no excuses, it's a call to action. And without going into this whole mutual appreciation thing, because it drives me mad. I do want to say it's the first time we've spoken to attract us since um, since uh, Deputy Costello's successful challenge uh, of CETA. Of I want to thank Attracta for bringing that to everybody's attention and making it such a thing you played a pivotal role in that and I want to acknowledge that publicly so thank you so much and thank you for always always keeping us in the loop you know we, we people go oh you, you read a lot yeah when you get it when you get that text from a track at half 10 on a Thursday evening folks you gotta get it you gotta open it and hope and see what what new what new um, Mr. Miller has won't, been uncovered there's very few people I'll answer after 10.30 my mother and a tractor are just kind of <laughs> top of that list <laughs> <laughs> and, and he doesn't answer me look we'll, we'll leave it there There's, it yeah, is a call to action thank you so much again folks please 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 do click on the link share and tell people that um, you know this is something that you know the minister shouldn't have the right to g- agree with the minister that he's doing a great job just, just shouldn't be the case um, talk to you soon and I hope you enjoyed that Dara I hope you enjoyed that indeed take care bye bye Tony and Martin Martin and Tony speaking to interesting people only it's the echo chamber podcast subscribe now on page